Welcome to the No Referees Podcast, where we have unpenalized conversations with sports personalities on industry news, their grind, the game, and much more. Please check us out on our social media pages at No Referees Pod for up-to-date info on the show. No rules, no texts, no whistles. This is No Referees Podcast. Welcome back to the No Referees Podcast. I'm your host, Everest Akajobi. This is part two with my main man, Samaki Walker, here on the lines, joining us from L.A. What up, bro? What's going on, boss? Man, we chilling, man. Hey, a lot of stuff been going down in the world of sports since the last we spoke, man. We ended off the last uh, segment talking about training camp being real light and being real easy. One thing I wanted to ask, mm-hmm. I thought about since we last spoke, that you had opportunity to play for two Hall of Fame coaches with two completely different styles. You had Greg Popovich with that kind of in-your-face, no-shit, militant style. Then you had Phil Jackson with that kind of hoosah, like zen-type style. How did both of those coaches get the best out of their players, and how are they similar in their regard? That's a great question, man. I get that question a lot, actually. Um, Pop, you know, is a military guy, so he was, Pop is straight in your face. He's real. He ain't about no BS. He's not He's not going to tell you what he wants, you know, what you want to hear. He's the type of dude that will embrace confrontation. Phil is the exact opposite. Phil is more of the Zen guy where he's, you know, he comes in with a mystique and an aura himself, especially as being coach Michael Jordan and winning, you know, multiple championships. So he came in, we know, with that respect um, when he came in with the Lakers trying to coach Kobe and Shaq. But, you know, Phil is more of a laid back, uh, Zen type of guy, like you said, where he's not really going to address certain things in confrontation. But, He'll give you a book and expect you to figure it out. <laughs> what was he giving you? Like the the, the Zen Masters one on one? Man, Phil think he would Phil was all up on some shit, man. Phil would think that Phil think he could study everybody. Like he he knew something about everybody and he would get you a book based off what he feel maybe might inspire you or help you or there's some type of message in it for you and you're supposed to figure that shit out. <laughs> hey, did he really uh, <laughs> burn the sage and the incense and all that shit in the locker room? True story. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a story about yeah. that. I mean, it was crazy because, brother, we was the, this was the, the first and only team that <laughs> we meditated, you know, we had our certain days where we would meditate before practice, before we even take the court. Hold on, hold on. You talk about like, not like, a, what was that movie with uh, Angela Bassett, uh, Dom Yaho, Ray Gang, like that <laughs> yeah. kind of meditation? <laughs> yeah, bro. So, supposedly, you know, so George Mumford, who was the guy that, you know, orchestrated everything, this was Phil's guy, and he had worked with Chicago. So, actually, Jordan was doing this too, supposedly. So, wow. You no, know, yeah. So, you know, I guess, you know, Shaq and Kobe embraced it and open arms. And so when I got there, it was a full practice. You know, we would um once or twice a week, twice a week at least, we would get in there and meditate. They turn out the lights, Mumford would get in front, we'd be in the film room. He would get into his little, you know, mantra and talk and you know, and get you to go inside yourself and you know, half everybody went to sleep. But <laughs> Shaq be doing spitballs and shit. Like, it's crazy, man. <laughs> it's crazy. Good talk. Did any other players just not buy into that whole situation at all? You know what? Not for no. I think everybody bought into it. I think, like I said, Phil came in with a sort of um, a cachet, a mystique that people respected. And, you know, when you're coaching the greatest player in the world, I mean, I think it's it's easy to get people to jump on board and when you're as successful as he was. So Phil was, I think, was capable of managing egos. And if you know anything about pro athletes, one of the hardest things to do, they may be talented, but if you can't manage those egos and get them to play together and sometimes sacrifice, 
you know, you can't win the ultimate goal, which is supposedly championship. And he was uh, excellent at doing that. So you talk about, uh, you, you talk about, I'm sorry, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, what Pop was is more so, you know, straightforward. Pop would lay it down the line. Pop would tell you, you would basically go to bat for you. And, you know, Pop is a player development. Pop believes in developing his guys. He can take things, he see things that he, qualities that he like, and then he challenged you and developed you. And if you notice, most most of Popovich's players go to other teams usually are successful. Mm. That's actually your good point. You mentioned well, I had uh like I mentioned the part one, I had Yan Mahimi on and he talked about being one of those Spurs products that come in with the Spurs, being developed. Him and um Davis Bertans with the Wizards, those kind of guys, the Spurs developing George Hills. Those kind of guys come in, nobody really know them, and end up having, you know, great careers. Yeah, you know, Pop believes in, first of all, he has a philosophy, man. He's established a philosophy. He gets guys to buy in. And one thing Pop will do is that if you show that you can play, he'll play you. Like, there's politics in professional sports. We all know that. We all accept it. But Pop somehow, some way manages to sort of bypass and get over that. I mean, if Tim Duncan messes up and you get like Malik Rose on the bench that's playing well, he'll put Malik Rose in and let it ride. You know, and Pop's thing is he gets his stars to buy in. Of course, David Robinson, Tim Duncan, Avery Johnson, you know, give these these guys credit. They established that culture there. Sean Elliott. But uh, Popovich, you know, he you know, gave that, you know, brought that energy into the San Antonio Spurs. And, you know, myself, you know, when I went there, like I said, I was, I basically, I was damaged good. Mm. You know, I emotionally, what I endured going to Dallas to get to San Antonio, and unfortunately, Timmy got hurt during the playoffs. My opportunity to step up, like I said, I played very well. Popovich gave me the confidence and sort of roll with me. And the rest was history. Mm. One side note real quick, somebody told me to tell you what's up. Uh, Coach Brunghart, Brungie, he told me to tell you hello. Brungie. I talked to him this morning. He told me to tell you that uh, you're one of his favorite guys to work with. Man, Brungie, those are my guy. He was education, man. I was fortunate enough to work with some guys that understood the body and training. And uh, <laughs> unfortunately, sometimes I was injury prone, so I, I was – in the in that situation due to injury, but man, I learned a lot from that man. <laughs> so staying with LA, there's so many things I, I want to touch on. I want to talk about the big cactus, you know, the the big diesel. What was it like playing against him in practice, and then even have any stories, you know, off the court, you know, about Big Shaq? Man, look, <laughs> big fella, uh, Shaq, man was. Look, he was an anomaly. Shit, what else can you say? You know, he was seven one, three hundred and thirty some odd pounds. <laughs> well, in the beginning of his career, close to three sixty towards the end. But um, I mean, he's a freak of nature. You know, a guy who could run and jump and move at seven one. And we still haven't saw anybody like that. I never saw Will Chamberlain play but I have seen Shaquille O'Neal and I've never seen anything like it. He was a guy with his first and second jump. You know, I think Zion Williamson is the closest thing, you know, at his size. Mm. And uh, he's not Shaq. But his ability, man, is, is, you know, second to none. I mean, I don't know what it's like to have that type of ability and note on a nightly basis that there's nobody in the league that can stop you, mm. plain and simple. You know what I'm saying? And so as good as Kobe was, you had your Tracy McGrady's, you had your events, you had these all these Michael Jordan clones who were pretty good, competitive, at least physically, you know, able to compete. Uh, Shaq, even from a physical standpoint, there was nobody comparable. There was nobody in the league that he was even close. And so you're talking about a guy who, physically can just dominate any time he wanted. And that's what he did, you know, for a number of years in the league. Every night was barbecue chicken <laughs> alert, huh? Barbecue chicken. I mean, 
every now and then when he get tired, he go on a few games where you know he dominate. He get tired, and so Maki, I need you tonight. <laughs> and that was my night. Hey, you was, you was ready, night. huh? Hey, yeah, step up my scoring role. You know, just take your technique. Hey, so no, man. You know, it was I was fortunate, man. I was honored and blessed to play against the brother with the brother. Uh, he was a real, a real one. Uh, I got a chance to hang with him, man, personally. Um, yeah, give me a, give me a shot. Friends. Come on, I need a, I need a Shaquille O'Neal kicking his story. Like you gave us the, the Suge Knight story. That was uh, when you first came to LA. I need to get this uh, Shaquille O'Neal kicking it. What is it like to kick it with Shaq in LA? Oh man, no, Shaq. Hey, he's a rock star. <laughs> Give me a night out in the town. Like, give me, give me something that you know, a story you probably never told, or a story you may have told. Just kicking it with Shaq. Nah, man. I, you know, the night out. I can't tell you all those stories, but I will tell you that I tell you, Shaq was one of the coolest brothers that you can ever meet. And I tell you this: he was <laughs> one day we had practice, and uh, you know we get into the huddle where we had practice. Practice was getting ready to start, rather. And so we in the huddle. It's first thing in the morning. Everybody put their hand in the huddle. Phil know that Shaq is not in the huddle. And so feel like we're Shaq. <laughs> and like clockwork, Shaq come running out the locker room, butt-ass naked. Oh, I have heard this story. <laughs> and he got a string of toilet paper hanging out the crack of his ass. And he <laughs> runs around, does a lap, and then come put his hand in the damn huddle, butt-ass naked. And so, I mean, it's just a testament, man, to how funny this dude is and what he's willing to do, man, just to go for a laugh. But <laughs> on that kicking and stuff, look, Shaq was a, I mean, if you ain't ever been to a Shaq party, bro, you know, you don't know what this, I mean, look, Shaq, Puffy, uh, Magic, you know, back then, if you haven't been to one of those parties, bro, you wasn't doing that. I'll tell you this, we had a, I'll tell you a, a, a Shaq part of Kobe's story. I'll tell you, we had a, Shaq had a party one night. We were heading out. We were in the limo. Shaq tell everybody to throw their bags up. Matter of fact, we playing the Mavericks. We land in Dallas. Shaq tell everybody, he want everybody to put their stuff up. Meet us down at the lobby in the hotel. The limo be waiting for everybody. So everybody throw their stuff up. Me down in the lobby. Limo's waiting. We hop in the limo. We pull off. We pull about three or four blocks up. We stop at a red light. <clears throat> Look over to my left. There's this gym, some fitness center. I look over. <laughs> we all in there, right? We look over. It's Kobe. Kobe inside of the gym, bro. He got two plates. On each side with chains hanging off. Damn. Squatting. Squatting, you know, at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night. This is the night before the game, before we play the Mavericks. You know, just a testament to, you know, the dedication and type of shit his brother had, man. It was crazy. His work ethic was second to none. But, um, yeah, man, you know, I can't give y'all all the juicy, all the details, but. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, just know this: this brother was a fun dude, and he uh, and he had some nice parties. I'll put it like that. <laughs> Talking about Shaq, then you talk about Kobe and how he always had his uh, laser-like focus and just always willing to go the extra mile. Did you ever see the whole, you know, Shaq and Kobe? Uh, I don't want to say get into it, but everything they saw in the media. From what I heard from Shaq, you know, that all that stuff was bond proportion. But how were they behind the scenes? You know what? There's some truth to it. A lot of it was blown out of proportion. But, you know, just like, you know, I explained in Dallas. And I think, you know, in the first conversation we had, I told you where the whole Braxton thing was blown out of proportion, where the agents really were behind it. And this, you know, this is the same thing here. You know, a situation where... You got two mega superstars competing in the market for L.A. You know, branding in this era is huge now. We're in the era where athletes get to brand themselves. And so when the media come out with whose team is it, 
you know, that question arises. You got a young up from Kobe Bryant who believes this is with his work ethic and the way he goes about running his operation, feels that he's worthy of taking charge of the team. Shaq, the most dominant player you know, to ever touch a ball, other than Will Chamberlain, you know, obviously this was his team. You know, the team was built around him. And so uh, you could see where there possibly would have been tension, considering that Shaq was more laid back, he was dominant, didn't have necessarily the same work ethic as Kobe did, who, you know, like Michael Jordan, second coming, you know, had a tremendous work ethic. So you can see where there might have been friction when things got tight during the, during the season, but it was totally out of blown from a perspective, you know, how they were going at each other's head. You know, I didn't see it like that. Uh, Kobe was, you know, mostly to himself anyway. So that's just how it was. And I knew, I knew this. When it comes playoff time, whatever tension that may have been, you know, was thrown out the window. Those brothers were ready to play. And, uh, you know, they let us, you know, while in there, let us to the championship. Some other great players on that on those Laker days when you were there. You obviously got your big shot, Bob. You got your you know Rick Fox. Your your Mark Madsen. Uh, but one of my personal favorite guys was Derek Fisher. He's from Arkansas, and my mother's side of uh, the family they're from Arkansas. So he's a first player besides Scottie Pippen I knew from Arkansas. So I just gravitated toward Corliss Williamson, Scottie Pippen, Derek Fisher, anybody from Arkansas. What's a good D Fish story you got? No, but you know what? Defense was really like, man, laid back, quiet. Um, you know, defense really reserved his talking for when it was time, when maybe there might have been tension during the season and there needed to be a voice, a vocal voice to step up. You know, he was often that guy. And so uh, as far as, like, real stories, defense was like blue collar. Mm. He come to work, do his thing, and it was uh, you know, <laughs> back to business. Mm. And so, and that's where a lot of the guys were. You know, Rick Fox, blue collar. You know, B. Shaw, blue collar. Now that's kind of what made this thing work. You know, myself, blue collar. You know, guys who just understood their role and fit together, wasn't trying to step outside of their role, wasn't mesmerized by the you know, the, the glitz and glamour of L.A., but, you know, you can expect during, you know, a season that there will be some wear and tear grind emotionally and physically. But, you know, for the most part, man, this team was a, is, was a well-oiled machine. And Phil knew that, and that's why he ran and, and conducted his practices the way he did. There was one part, one role that, I, that most people probably miss out on in the, the shot that everybody knows where Shaq tips it out to Big Shot Bob for the for the three. But most people don't know in that game that you had a, a buzzer beater shot that didn't count. And the NBA later on down the road that summer instituted instant replay, and your shot was one of the shots that kind of propelled that thing forward. What do you think well, about it? Well, that's that's correct. It did count, but it shouldn't have. Okay, it did count. Okay, okay, it did count, but it shouldn't have. So yeah, yeah. you're you're part of NBA history, so to speak, about how instant replay came about. You know, what's your thoughts on that? Hey, um you know, it's, it's intriguing. I mean, it's that shot was which was crazy because we were down basically with 25 points at the time. I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, they came in and they was handling it to us. And so it wasn't a big deal. Obviously we didn't have instant replay, but there was no big deal to even go back and check it. Cause it's like, we're down 25 points. <laughs> and so I, yeah, I mean, that was basically the only bright side of that whole first half. <laughs> so you can imagine nobody like, okay, so what he hit a shot. You know, and then we walked in, you know, the locker room came out second half. And, you know, man, I mean, it was it was a different game. Um, but, hey, it shouldn't be counted. 
But there was no instant replay at the time, and it did. <laughs> That's the way the game was called, though. You know, ever you know, the game was called like that. It was by eyesight. Now we got instant replay. We didn't have that. You know, that was the era that we was in. There was no cheating. You had fans calling in, talking about, you know, we was cheating and all that. And No, nah, it wasn't like that, bro. It was, it was, I mean, a crazy game ended by a phenomenal shot. Mm. I mean, Vladi tipped the ball out, not Shaq. Mm. Yeah, Vladi tipped the ball out from stopping Shaq from getting the rebound. Okay, that's what it was. Okay. Yeah, and then went right into Rob's hands. <laughs> Rob stepped into that thing and the rest was history. <laughs> but... And then we went back to game seven, and they shouldn't have, they should have beat us then, but they choked, you know, at the free throw line. So that's the storyline. Mm-hmm. You know, the shot shouldn't have counted, but that was the era that we was in. And there's a lot of things that you can say in that from that standpoint then, you know, because that's just how the game was judged. Speaking of that era you was in, I want to talk about your era as a big man. You were known for a guy that was like a bruiser, used your brute strength. You know, we could say it now. You kind of punk dudes, just basically based right. upon your physicality. Your right, game, right. your your game was predicated on that. How do you think you would fare in today's game? Actually, I think I would adjust. You know, because I think I can move my feet. I think today's game, the shot is obviously you know uh, a big deal. You know, and I think that if you have a shot, you can put defenses at a disadvantage. And the game is, is obviously spread out, is wide open. Now, defensively, I would have to adjust my game for the simple fact that, you know, you came back, there's no bang. If they wanted to speed the game up, make it quicker, more exciting. So, you know, you have to adjust. But, um, you know, being a lot threat, being able to pick and roll, get guys open and create space, I mean, for, for guys, which that was my thing. I, I believed in getting my guy open. And so and that's what coaches like. I mean, those basic fundamentals, I really took to heart. And, you know, whether it was Kobe, anybody that came off my screen was going to get open, which eventually, if they were a threat, I would eventually get the ball back. So in this era, man, playing with these dynamic guards, the pick and pop game, being able to get lob threats to the basket without any bodies on you. <laughs> oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah, yeah. You would have got that uh big boy contract at uh twenty mil plus a year uh, in today's game, huh? <laughs> I mean I mean look, guys is getting away without even not having the right or left hand jump hook. So <laughs> they're getting paid eighty million bucks. So hey. it's a walk and chew gum, huh? <laughs> It is, but you know what? Since the game has been developed, it has been going through a constant flux, and the business people have always wanted a game that looks similar to this. It's more entertaining, and so we can argue about you know, yeah, the game and the essence has changed, and we would be right. But the truth is, this is a business, and this is what the modern NBA is going to look like, and. Um, I mean, but these brothers are more athletic, they're quicker, they're faster. Now, the part would be guarding these guards mm. out in all this space. That would be the difficult part because these guards are quicker, their skills, their ball handling skills are, are, are better than ever. They're a lot more explosive. And so it would be very hard, especially with no hand checking. Wow. Who do you like in the game today? A lot of bigs that are... Uh, maybe like you know, maybe I can, only thing I can, person I can think of maybe like a, a Joel Embiid. He don't he kind of inside outside. You know what? What big guys do you like in today's game that may have been like okay, if you would have had some of your athleticism, your Bruce strength, you could see having good matchups against. Wow, man! I mean, the fours are so different now. I mean, these guys are more. I mean, Joe and B would be tough. I mean, I think he would be tough in the era. I think he has the physicality to play in our era. I think uh, his unique touch, I think he would be a, a nightmare mm. with his you know, his power to finesse game. Uh, you know, Anthony Davis. Hold on, hold on, little... hold on, hold on, hold on. That's a term I never heard you say before. That's a gym right there. Power to finesse game. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, bro, that's a problem. Not everybody got that. Mm. You know, Shaq was all power, but 
I mean, to see a power to this, this brother right here has a power to finesse. He has a multitude of ways he can beat you. And when I watch him, I'm trying to figure out, damn, how would I stop that? And I really don't come up with no answers. It's like, <laughs> <is> this... <laughs> ego aside, man. I'm like, damn, I really don't know how to stop this brother. I mean, like, on the island with him in the old school game. Barbecue chicken alert. <laughs> oh, man. If he was in our era with those type of skills, oh, man, it would be a problem. And so, uh, and... I would like to see him play against Shaq because I don't think it'd be just no. I I don't think he could stop Shaq, but I would think that this brother with these type of skills, he would he would give him some problems. Mm. I mean, if you think it's the type of player that Shaq had problems with, like Elijah Wan, mm. and this brother he reminds me of this kind of footwork, that type of skill, mm. and with blue strength. So, um, him. Uh, Honestly, man, that's tough. I mean, the young fella, Jan Jackson Union is kind of throwback. He, I like he going he's gonna be a he's gonna be somebody I think that in the future is gonna be nice to reckon with. Uh, he, he, was like right he, was, he was schooled yeah. the right way. He was the right way. You right, and there you go. I mean, uh, I mean, you got some young athletes, man. These guys, they're more athletes. And it's like the game is played different. You know, they got horizontal players and vertical players. And most of these guys in pick and roll are expected to be live threats now because it adds a different element to the game. They're not asked to do a lot. Uh, they are asked to handle the ball within the offense more. Uh, a guy like Jokic, I think, would be a, a nightmare mm. because of his skill set. And he knows how to use his body real well, even though he can't jump over a deck of cards. <laughs> he's, he's highly skilled. I mean, neither could Dirk, and I couldn't. I couldn't get close to his shot. Mm. It was the most one of the most frustrating guards because he was shoot. He developed a high arc that nobody can get to, and Don Nelson would post him right there at the free throw line in the middle, and he would just turn around and shoot right over the top of him. I was like and at that, so, uh, like at that pinch post area. Yeah, man, so post him right there, and. Uh, Dirk would just catch that thing, and later on, as he got stronger, he migrated even closer down to the post because he was able to hold his own from a physical standpoint, which made him more of a problem. That was championship Dirk. <laughs> that was he was physical that, uh, back in that time. Yeah. yeah, that's when he put it all together. That's the power to finesse. Yo, you ain't living your life right. Pick up your device right now. Well, if you're driving, stay focused on the road. And hit that subscribe, follow, semicolon, period, whatever you got to ensure that every week your eardrums is buzzing with our new episodes, all right? I'm subscribed. Yo, you subscribe? All right, we good. Let's get back to the show. Before we leave the Lakers story, you know I gotta bring this up. You know, you know our fans gotta hear this. Hear the hear the story, hear the hundred dollar story. Take our fans through your take. I know you said it. I've seen many interviews. You talked about it. Give my fans the 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 account of back in the day where you and Kobe got into it over a hundred dollars. Oh man, that story was blown all over the place. Number one. When I talked about it the first time, I didn't expect for it to be blown up like that, to be totally honest. You know, it was on the interview, but that was my naivety about social media and how this shit works. Too. <laughs> <laughs> so let's be clear on that. <laughs> so, yeah, that was that story. It was a long conversation like this. And exactly, this was a setup just like this. Hey, man, <laughs> Bob, your boy. You ain't know them. You know me. It. So it's different. Hey. And he hit me with the question right at the end of the interview, just like this. Oh, we still, we still got some more time. I still got to get a bunch of other things. I just, I want, when I leave the Lakers, I want to leave all that before I get to the next stuff. Nah, we cool. I'm messing <laughs> with you. But, uh, hey. but no, it, it, uh, it, the dude, I, I had no idea. I, and no, I forgot it was Kobe's retirement year, too. So 
the story just blew out of proportion, but no, it was a real story. And I thought, personally, everybody had knew about it because it did come out. And I guess that it did, I don't know what happened. You know, the story just never made it big, but I didn't have any problem telling it. And so, you know, we were ready to shoot around. So hold on, let me let me set people up real quick. In an NBA shoot around, for some of y'all that don't know, <clears throat> I'm just, I'm just gonna paint paint the picture for some of our listeners. NBA shoot around, NBA guys will get together. They'll they all got X amount of dollars. We ain't got to put their business out there. They got money, so they'll just for fun's sake just be betting on half court shots. Shooting from the sideline back just to waste time, just to, just to do something. So the setup was, tell us Samaki. Yeah, and first of all, I want no Kobe fans coming to kill me, man. Rest in peace. <laughs> <laughs> so, but you know the story though was funny because it, it really happened, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you know, we were just <laughs> we shooting for a hundred bucks uh, after shoot around, and uh, you know. Kobe won that day. He won the money. And I guess everybody put a hundred bucks in it. So the winner gets the entire pot. Kobe won that day. He got the pot. And so we go back to the hotel. So the rule is you got 48 hours to pay for a double. And usually everybody pays in 48 hours. There are no problems. And if they don't, we don't trip. I mean, we know you'll get paid. But some reason, though, the next the next day, <clears throat> we had a uh, shoot-around, you know, I mean, uh, practice. So this, we, this was at the end of practice when we shot the, you know, the uh, half-court shots. But the next day, we had shoot-around. So shoot-around, Kobe gets on the bus and asks me if I have his, you know, the money. <laughs> we all in practice gear. <laughs> so <laughs> in practice gear going to shoot-around. And he told, asked me, well, do you have my money? And uh, I had my earphones on. And I told him, no, I didn't have it at the time. I would get it back to him when he got back to the road. And so uh, <laughs> I put my earphones back on. <laughs> and lo and behold, <laughs> he sucker punched me. <laughs> I said, what? <laughs> no, it fucked me up. <laughs> it fucked me up. And I said, I couldn't believe it happened. First of all, I had to look. I had to look at him and like, damn, did this one really just hit me? <laughs> <laughs> I had to look around. I had to look around and look at the faces of all my teammates for validation. Like, did this? Did he just hit me? <laughs> so, and all your teammates see, saw it. Oh yeah, we right there on the bus. Okay, you know, he walks past me on the bus. You know, he got the very back seat. So, and uh, he walks past, like I said, he asked me for the hundred bucks. And uh, I just said, yo, I'll get him, get, make sure I get it to you later. And I put, you know, the earphones on. And so he sucker punched me. And so what happened, we go back to the, to the hotel. I mean, no, 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 no. After he sucker punched me, of course, you know, I'm getting ready to get any. He can't go nowhere, so I'm on the bus. And so... Shaq and them trying to basically let me go. And it was Rick. You know, Rick immediated everything. He's going to make sure everything is on the up and up. He, Where's Phil at? Me. Where's Phil Jackson with the Zen and the Sage at this point? Oh, everything right there on the bus. So I tell Phil, I tell Phil to stop the bus. Phil, like, what? I said, man, stop the bus. Phil, like, for what? I told him what happened. So Phil, they'll stop the bus, right? Here at the top of the center. <laughs> so I get off of the bus, like, yo, I tell him, yo, come on, man, get off the bus. So we gonna get off, we gonna, we gonna handle this. It's broad daylight, it's, middle of the street. It, it's broad day. Now, they're in the middle of the street. We right right before we got to the arena. Wow. We ready pull, we pulling up into the air, right before we pull up down into the, the arena and everything, we stop. And I tell him, no, let's get off the bus. Of course, he didn't want to get off the bus, and I understood. He made a he look. He made an impulse decision that he probably wish he could have took back. So here nor there, it already happened. Too late. So now, <laughs> Phil and them now they got to calm me down. So they put me in in the in the room, 
got people watching me, making sure I don't come out the room and rage havoc. <laughs> so, so I said, okay, cool. I mean, the brother got one in on me. Now my ego hurt. <laughs> so I said, okay, now I got to get him back. So I said, I'm, <laughs> so I'm away. I'm away for him after practice. So after practice, he don't get on a bus. He catches a taxi. Uh. <laughs> yeah, he catches a taxi. So I'm like, oh, okay, I'll catch him with him. So we go back to the room. My light is flashing on my room. And I, so I pick up my phone and check my voicemail. And it's, it's him. And, you know, he'll be apologizing and, you know, what have not. And he couldn't believe why he did what he did. And said, I couldn't believe why you did what you did either. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I need an explanation or something. So, I mean, because it couldn't have been about, you know, the hundred bucks. It's real talk. Right. Like, it's personal at this point. Yeah. And the truth be told, at that time, I had heard he was going through some personal things with his family. So, oh, okay. He had some built up tension. And so I, I get it. I understand. And so, um, no, here nor there, I still need to get my hit back. So my thing was, I'm going to meet him over early because his bodyguards came down in my room, tried to talk to me. I basically told him, look, y'all don't have nothing to do with this. He made that decision. <laughs> he got to deal with that. <laughs> he got to deal with that as a man. Right? Yeah. Am I tripping? I mean, yo, am I tripping? Because <laughs> I'm like, yo. So he got to deal with that as a man. So I said, you know what? I'm going to get over to the arena early. I'm going to over to the arena. And I know, and I'm going to, you know, do what I do. Oh, shit. And, um, <laughs> what did the bodyguard you know, say? It wasn't that he could say. What was he going to say? You know, I mean, <clears throat> I know that once I got to that arena, I already had my head, my eye, I mean, my, my idea in my head what I was going to do. Right. Simple as that. Right. And so I get there early. I'm on a treadmill. You know, in comes Jerome, Shaq's bodyguard. Mm-hmm. Well, he comes in and he gets me and tells me, yo, my, you know, I got <clears throat> cold outside, man, you know, and we want to talk to you. I'm saying, yo, and basically, Jerome, you know, I got a lot of respect for this brother. People who don't know Jerome, Shaq's bodyguard, you know, he's, uh, you know, He's a brother that the OG, you know, you know, you, you talk to him, you understand, you know, that why he's highly respected. The brother, you know, he's been around for a long time and Shaq, you know, loves the death out of him. And so I got a chance to get to know him while I was there. You know, him and Shaq kind of befriended me, took me under their wing. So when he came in and talked to me, he was like, look, it's not worth it. You can do what you got to do, but it's not going to look good. It's not going to come out in your best interest, which he was 100% right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was Kobe Bryant. You know, and it would have been before a game, and I wasn't thinking. You know, I was thinking out of emotion. And so when he came in and he talked to me, and I said, listen, you know, I'm going to have to make a decision. I'm going to have to bite it. My ego was hurt. And so I had to chop it up for the sake of the team. Mm, damn. <laughs> Plus, I took a pay cut to come here to this team, you know, to try to win the ring and things of that nature. So, you know, it is what it is. Right. Uh, but the truth is, we didn't know. We talked later. Me and Kobe, we were at UCLA. We got a chance to chop it up, talk. He donated some shoes to my foundation. And we came cool. So, mm. I mean, that story, how they blew it up, you know, they got their ratings. They did what they did. But it wasn't designed for that. Right. It was just, you know, telling a real story. It started to be funny. Right, right. But it really happened, you know? Right, right, right. It really but, you know, he was a good dude. You know, he was going through some things at the time. And so, and he said it. You know, he admitted it. And then, you know, it is what it is. Rest in peace. Bro, you play with all-time greats. So when you leave, facts. when you leave, and this is actually facts, so I'm just I'm gonna run down a few of them in, in a quick second. So when Samaki leaves L.A., he goes to Miami, then he goes to Indiana, uh, Washington's mixed up in there, and then um, he ends his NBA career. So he gets 
Reggie Miller on the tail end of his career and your Dwayne Wade at the beginning of his career. So now we're talking about, if we go back to all the names that of the, the Hall of Famers that you play with. Dirk will be in the Hall. He'll be a first ballot. Tim Duncan will be a first ballot. Tony Manu will be first ballot. Dave Robbins is already in the Hall of Fame. Shaq, Kobe, Dwayne Wade, Reggie Miller. And then Steve, Pop, Nash. Steve Nash, Popovich, um, Don Nelson's in the Hall of Fame, Phil Jackson. I mean, I ran out of fingers. So just give us like a, a quick little snippet of what it was like being around Dwayne Wade, those last, you know, and Reggie Miller and these 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 superstars towards the tail end of your career. Well, I didn't get actually get a chance to play with Reggie. Uh, Reggie was gone when the year I came, I think the year he left. Okay, I checked uh, the ro- I checked the roster, and they said you and him on the roster at the same time. Is that right? Yeah, <laughs> the o five o six roster. I, I think that's. I think he ended up leaving that year. I think that's because Ryan Ryan Martez might have been tripping. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> they just called the year. But uh, but no, man, I was fortunate enough to leave um, after I left Los Angeles. You know, I went to Miami. Pat Riley brought me in, you know, and um, D-Wade's rookie year, you know, he was, <laughs> we nicknamed him the problem from day one because the brother, from the time he hit the floor, I mean, he was a problem. Mm. I mean, he, he literally, literally was unstoppable. I mean, it was like we were all chasing him around there and he was, it was, it was unreal. And so, you know, when he first came in, they played him at point guard. Mm-hmm. And obviously, that didn't work out. They switched him to two, and that's how Dwayne Flash was born. They put him to two guard. It was a wrap. You know, we've seen some things that we hadn't expected when he got drafted. But um, Dwayne Wade was a, was a phenomenal player, man. You know, I wasn't a Miami long, but I got a chance to see the birth. A uh, very humble kid. You know, funny story was that he bought his first car. I want to think. I think it's a, it was a Chrysler 300. Okay. And uh, he was, man. When he bought it, he was so excited. I mean, we were, I remember we had just finished practice, man. He had pulled up. He was telling people to come out and look at it, and you know. <clears throat> and I'm thinking, like, bro, he don't have no clue, like what you getting ready to establish. <laughs> <laughs> he was just killing everybody in practice. You can see that he had star written all over it. Right. And so, but to see him so humble that being his first car and that he was just so proud of it, you can tell you know, that um, he was going to be uh, the next thing coming. Um, you know, I played with some killers. Dirk <clears throat> got a chance to play with him, you know, as a, you know, him coming in as a rookie. And up until he came in, I was the youngest player in Dallas Maverick history. He came in, got a chance to really actually work with him and after practice and see his development. Um, like he was a talented kid, but was nothing of what he developed into. And so, you know, it was an honor and a pleasure to just watch him develop over the years. You know, Nash coming in from Phoenix to Dallas and, and kind of developing into Steve Nash and then going back to Phoenix and becoming a two-time All-Star. Um, man, Tim Duncan, arguably the, the greatest power forward in NBA history. Very methodical approach. I mean, I just learned so much from all these guys and their styles of play and how they approach the game. But one thing they had in common was they had this this work ethic man. that you know, most of us, you know, don't establish you know, throughout our careers. And so I was very fortunate, man, to play with some great players and it helped me continue to elevate because it's hard to stand late. You know, people talk, you know, playing 10 years is tough. You know, people play longer, but the average lifespan is like three, four years. Mm. <clears throat> and so, you know, considering that once you get in, you got to learn how to stay in. And so that motivation, that source has got to come. So I got a huge respect for these guys who are able to maintain that level of that competition, you know, throughout their career. Before I uh, get you out, 
Got a couple of things I want to just uh, hit on with you real quick. The NFL came out and said with their new CBA, CBA, they're not going to test their players or suspend their players for marijuana use. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, the big three um, came out and said they'll be they'll, they were the first league to encourage their um, athletes to use marijuana use for medicinal purposes. What? So. <laughs> Uh, what's your what's your take on what you think the NBA and the player association players association should do in regards to allowing NBA players to use marijuana for medicinal purposes? Well, I'm gonna tell you what they're eventually going to do because <laughs> I think it's the right thing to do, and I think they 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 really don't have much of a choice, you know, as that's where things are heading. I think they will eventually um, agree, you know, that um, CBD uh, should be, you know, uh, not tested for and legal in the NBA. And I think, you know, it's just a matter of time uh, as education continues to come out more about it and, and guys continue to promote it. Um, you know, I don't know exactly how the bylaws and how they will work, but I do believe that the NBA will follow suit if the NFL is doing it. Was there ever a game Samaki Walker seen anybody high or drunk and or anything like that without mentioning no names? Mm, Samaki Walker. I'm not going to throw nobody into the bus. Yeah. I tried to. Yeah, it, and it didn't work. It was the worst decision I ever made. I did it once and I would never do it. I never did it again. <laughs> How'd you feel that game? We felt slow. Like take us through that, <laughs> man. I was just, bro. It was the it was the most paranoid moment for me. Now look, some dudes do it, and they I've heard, and that's where we get the comfort zone because you always listen to other motherfuckers. Man, I they some such did it. You hear stories about cats who who went out there high and dropped forty and did this <laughs> and that. You're telling us, oh shit, that must be cool. Yeah. And I was, for me personally, I was paranoid. And then if I ever, whenever I did something wrong or, I, or if I missed an assignment, I'm like, damn, do they know I'm high? <laughs> so, and then I was tripping. So I'm like, nah, that ain't for me. This is going to be, uh, you know, after the post-game activity, nothing before the game and all that. So, <laughs> shout out to the brothers that can do it and go out and ball. I wear one of them. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> hey, like, uh, uh, what was the uh, Ice Cube on Friday with the with the, did I hear that? With the little dog, <laughs> the dog said. <laughs> hey, word. I mean, then you look in, you know, I know it's Staples Center. You're like, damn. I just, I just fucked up. Did Jack Nicholson see that shit? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I know Snoop. I know he don't care. <laughs> Everybody sitting there, but it's crazy, man. But no, it's it's uh, like I said. Shout out to the cast that can do it, man, and ball out. <laughs> Speaking of balling out, man, I know these days for you as a father gotta be some of the greatest moments of your life you have three Absolutely. you have three children all of them very very high high level basketball players you have your son at umass uh i don't want to butcher your son's name the baji is that how you pronounce it you got it the baji walker you have your daughter uh sakima walker who just got recruited yep. by just committed to Rutgers. you have another son who's getting recruited by everybody named Mama, Jabari, <laughs> Jabari, right? Well, correct. So if y'all don't know about Samaki, Samaki's 6'10", probably 6'11", on a good day. His sons are 6'8", six 6'9". Six six His daughter's 6'5". I mean, they need to retire their family jewels, bro. They need to put them in the Smithsonian shit. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> you, you, hey, what's that? Uh, the Drake song. You got a, you got a really big team. You need some really big rings. 
Hey, man. Hey, man. As one dad to another father, you know, my son's seven years old. He's hooping, and he's one of the best players on his team. I'm so proud of him when I watch him play. Just tell us, just tell me and you know, describe those feelings of how proud you are when you see your, your kids playing. Well, you know, man, it's honestly it's an honor and a pleasure. And I'm going to be honest, look, basketball was never, you know, unlike a lot of these kids and things. For me, my dad was very humble where, you know, basketball was taught as a platform. And coming from humble beginnings, you know, I was the first to go to college in my family. And so it was more so about that. My dad never mentioned the NBA and that was never, you know, the conversation. And so I'm very grateful to have gotten the, the journey, you know, I've taken the journey with basketball, the platform, the NBA, being able to play abroad and pass it down, you know, to the next generation. Uh, these kids are, you know, gifted. Um, um, I mean, I'll be honest, you know, it's, it's not me, it's them. You know, they've taken their own path. They got the genes, but the dedication is there. Um, what we do as a family is just lay down the hard work, the dedication, and, and try to build the foundation from there. And hopefully your kids take that, the essence of that, and apply it to wherever they can. It doesn't hurt that they, you know, my daughter's 6'6", six, six, and I got one 6'8", six, and 6', you know, 6'9". So, um, you know, kudos to them, man. Um, they've been through the adversity. It hasn't been easy. You know, my son missed his whole entire sophomore year, broke his leg, broke his arm and leg in the same year cast on both and so coming back he has to you know go through the grind and the grit and so I try to you know post videos and things mainly the journey is about them man you know I'm in the era where we can connect with our kids through these videos and that's how they they process things now and so I try to just capture moments and show how proud I am of them. So when your kids are going through this recruitment process and you've been through this recruitment Man. process as a high high level athlete. When you're sitting down and your your kids are asking for advice, or when these coaches are coming into the living room, what are you? What are they asking you? And what are you thinking? And what are questions are you asking the coaches on on this side as a parent? Man, it's a crazy process. In fact, I had two literally calling while we were on the on the on the phone. Um, it's a man. You know, it's a process in which. I want my kids to be fully involved in. And I, I, as a parent, I want them to know this is one of the biggest decisions of their lives. This is the, one of the things that I try to make them understand and <clears throat> think of this as a business decision. And so we try to ask several questions. And there's a list of questions you can go on. And this for these kids. It's actually really easy now. It's a list that's already prepared that's pretty in-depth and really good for these kids to take with them. And um, I try to get in my own kids' head, ask them, what do you want, what matters to you other than the things that we want for you as parents, the education, you know, the overall experience. And so for my daughter, she wants to be into fashion. <clears throat> and so we thought Jersey, you know, New York, Rutgers, we like Vivian Stringer and what she does, you know, and how she builds, the one she builds pro players. And my daughter wants, she has ambitions of, using the pro platform to build her business, which I think is amazing. And so, um, you know, very excited for her. Um, you know, my other son is dating, want to go into communications. You know, the platform that these kids have now is just amazing. And I just want to make sure that they guide and, and don't fuck it up early. <laughs> and so, <laughs> after that, I'm staying out the way, man. You know, I've had my run. It's not about me. I just want to fall back as pops and watch them, you know, really burn and do their thing. What was Maki Walker in 2020 tell us of Maki Walker in 1995? What kind of advice would you give him? Wow, man, so much. Um, stay out the motherfucking streets. <laughs> Get some rest. Get some rest. That was my thing. I you know, I ain't gonna front. You know, my thing was was partying. And most of my injuries came from just not getting no rest. Mm. <clears throat> it was knickknack injuries, man, and partying, then you out drinking, then you go home not getting no rest, the alcohol in your system, your body gets brittle, 
break down. And when you're doing that over and over and over, it becomes, you know, a detriment. And so my thing was, and just to be real with the knack was, it wasn't about my talent, it was the durability. You know, everywhere I went, I got knick-knack injuries. And so that was on me. And so, and that was based off of just not getting anywhere, partying out, think you're going to miss something at night. <laughs> and every city there was, man, you can go to Utah and find something that was popping. He was out there kicking it with the Mormon <laughs> folk? <laughs> man, man, there's something going on everywhere. <laughs> so, so. <laughs> Since the last time we spoke, the NBA suspended the season for players um, for the next 30, 60, 90, who knows how many days. Right. If you were playing during this time frame, or you were playing currently in this season, and like you just mentioned, having your knickknacks and needing your rest, but you also mentioned your partying. What would you do in this two to three month span? What kind of regimen would you have if you knew that the the game was going to be suspended? Potentially will come back, or potentially may not come back. Oh, well, I would definitely be back. You mean actually come back as a player? No, 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 no. If you were playing right now, like. If the season was going to come back on, like they're still, they're talking about bringing it back it in June right now. Yeah, yeah. If they're that talking be, about the season coming back, that would be scary for me. That break, you know. I'll just be honest. There were times I wasn't responsible enough and mature enough to handle that free time. Mm. So, so for me, that would be probably just being real at that time would have been a problem, and um, you know. You know, this story can go on. You're talking about <laughs> you know, brother that, you know, that, you know, I flipped my car, man, five times, something you don't even know about. I never told you that story. Uh-uh. So that's after I left L.A. And that was a time in my life where this partying, searching, after I won the ring, you know, at the ultimate high, still searching for what's next. And, you know, you find yourself in some deep shit. And mm. there was a time in my life where that happened. Mm. And so because of that, I wasn't able to fill my real duties as a player with Miami because, mm. you know, Pat Riley was the coolest brother I know because, uh, you know, I still had a cast on when he brought me in. Mm. He said, basically, I'm signing you. You know, I, I know what you've done with the Lakers. I want you. And so I was supposed to be a starting power forward. and But unfortunately, I wasn't able to fulfill my duties. He kept me there and let me build my body back up. And fortunately, that was Udonis Haslam's opportunity to, to step in and come out. And that's exactly what he did. And he never looked back. Mm. So, um, yeah, that for me, that would be a huge, to answer your question, that time at that time would have been a big problem. <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully these guys are more mature. They, they know these guys are professionals, though, man. I think that, you know, get these young kids some credit. They understand their brands and things. They have more people that's talking to these kids now and so you know they're doing a good job so far i mean you haven't heard anything about these kids so let's give them some credit well i want to thank you samaki walker for coming on the show telling some great stories and we did, did not get a chance to mention how me and samaki we met we met in 2009 um, when i was a strength coach in the korean basketball league uh, for sk knights and samaki came over and you talk about how LeBron James is to the NBA. That's how Samaki Walker was to Korea. I mean, this guy was a rock star. I mean, uh, we spent every day together, two two practices a day, weight room, rehab, eating Korean food, traveling all over Korea together. So we've kept a great relationship over the last 11 years. So that's our backstory, how we met. Uh, we didn't get a chance really to, talk, to touch that on part one or part two because Samaki was telling some great stories. I just want to say I appreciate you, brother. Um, you like family, you know. I know we only had a chance to talk that much, but, you know, it feels like old times right now just chopping it up. Hey, brother, I appreciate it, man. I want to say what's up to your audience. I appreciate the time. Uh, I look forward, man. we got to chop it up again in the future, bro. Yeah. All our, all our Samaki Walker fans out there, please go follow him at Samaki underscore Walker everywhere on social media. That is our brother, Columbus, Ohio's finest, Samaki Walker. We appreciate yeah, yeah. you. My man. Take care. All right. Take care, brother.
Thanks for listening to another episode of the No Referees Podcast. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening to this show and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to follow us on social media at No Referees Pod. Till the next episode, we out.